0: Best way to say it. So let's go to God in prayer, then we're going to jump into our lesson. Almighty God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for allowing us to be here. Uh, God, we do thank you that we're able to meet in a facility like this. And I I know at times it may seem like a a burden to go through the security check, but God is there for a reason. And I pray that you help us to be grateful for what we have. Uh, We do pray for Steve Kennard, God, that you will be with him. Any stroke is bad, not just a minor one, but yet we pray that you will help them to have a full recovery. Uh, Please be with all of our kids and the counselors that are going down to youth camp. Uh, It is going to be a fun time, God. It may be a little more structure and discipline this year, but it's going to be a fun, spiritual time for all of us as well. God, thank you again for all you've given us, and we do pray for our country, all that's going on in the politics, all that's going on in the schools. God, it is it is sad to see where things are headed, but yet we know you are the solution for it all. And we do pray for our hearts and our faith to be ones that bring about a solution and not more of a problem. God, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn over to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. And I want to start out, uh, I was reading this verse in verse 25. 25, yeah. And I said to myself, I said, self, I think I'll probably start a lot of my sermons. I can't say all of them, but pretty much for a long time with this to start out the sermon. Is that me? Maybe I'm doing something. So John 21, verse 25. It says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Think about that for a moment. Just think about wherever you live. If they wrote about all the things Jesus really did, your house could not hold those books. Then think about your neighbors. You put them in your neighbor's houses, that wouldn't be enough to hold it. Your neighborhood, your city, this state, just think about all the things Jesus really did that we really don't even know about. There's a lot of miracles recorded, but there's a lot that aren't recorded that he did. And so I want to focus on a couple of those miracles a day. And I start out with that because I think sometimes, I know we all know Jesus, we love Jesus, but sometimes we need to get our minds blown by just thinking about how great Jesus really is. And so I want to look at a couple of miracles in Mark chapter 5 and see what kind of lessons can we learn from what happened here. I'm going to read this all, then we'll go back and break it down. But Mark chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 21. Mark 5, 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd the lake. then one of the synagogue rulers named jarius came there seeing jesus he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him my little daughter is dying please come and put your hand on her so that she will be healed and live so jesus went with him a large crowd followed and pressed around him and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years He turned around to the crowd and asked, Who touched me? Clothes. You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, Some of the men from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, said, Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they had said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all the commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And he put them out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Incredible story. We look at two different miracles that happened here, but there's so much we can learn from it. I want to just try to focus and break it down for us here to get precise. First of all, a ruler by the name of Jairus came, and he came because his daughter was sick. Then the woman came and touched him. Because she was sick and had issues of bleeding. So the question to start out is what brings people to Jesus? What brought you to Jesus? One person came because of parental concern for their child, the other one came because of personal issues that they had. And while Jesus was about his day to day work, he was constantly being interrupted. Jesus saw these interruptions as an opportunity to show God's love and grace to people. He saw his interruptions as a way to show love. Now, for me, this is one of the most challenging things. As I was writing this out, I thought, this is challenging. Because sometimes when I get interrupted, I'm like ready to bite somebody's head off. Like, what in the world? What? It's just so frustrating for me. Now, y'all acting like I'm the only one. Y'all sitting here lying in church. Y'all know all y'all be getting Okay, well then nod your heads. Give me something here. But here's Jesus. He's about his mission. He's about doing what he's doing. He's getting interrupted to go save somebody's daughter. And on that way, he's interrupted again by somebody else. But yet, he saw it as an opportunity that God was giving him to show love. And again, look in verse 22. The father comes to Jesus desperate to get his daughter. And it says here in verse 22, Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. Now, let me tell you about Jairus. He was a synagogue ruler. And that's, well, turn over to Acts chapter 13. We'll come right back to Mark. Return to Acts chapter 13. Let me kind of explain who this guy was. In Acts 13, verse 15, this is an example. Paul is, is out there, and we know the Apostle Paul and how great he is. But look at what it says in verse 15. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. So in other words, Paul and Silas was there. But the synagogue rulers were the one who would stand up. They make announcements. They explain what's going on, and then they looked and said, "Well, if you guys have something to say, you are free to come up and speak now." Why did they do this? Because as a synagogue ruler, he was responsible for the administration of the temple. He looked after the temple. He supervised the worship. He made sure he found rabbis to teach on the Sabbath. He was more. He wasn't a politician, but he was somebody that the people knew and loved and admired. Now, in 586 B.C., virtually all the Jews lived within 100 miles of the temple. That way they could all come and worship on that Saturday. But in 586 B.C., the Jews were carried into slavery by the Babylonians. So they were all dispersed to different places. So they could no longer come back to the temple and worship. So instead, what they did is they built synagogues Wherever at least ten Jewish men were, they would build a synagogue there. So they had hundreds, thousands of synagogues all over, as long as they had ten Jewish men there. Now, in each of these synagogues, they would elect ten elders, people to oversee the synagogue. Now, these ten elders would then elect one person from this eldership to be the ruler of the synagogue. So the ten people voted on Jairus to be the ruler of the synagogue. So now he makes sure not just the synagogue goes well, but he also settles dispute within that community of the Jewish people. So he had a high position. People knew who he was. He had a lot of power. He had a lot of influence. But yet he done all he could to help his daughter, and nothing changed. And he said, the one person I'm not going to, the one person that can help is Jesus. Now, not everybody was fond of Jesus. So for this influential man to put his power, his reputation, his job, his authority all on the line to go see Jesus, that shows you how much faith he had. He was more concerned about his daughter than about how he looked, about his reputation, about his job. He said, I don't care about any of that. I want to make sure my baby girl is taken care of. So he went to Jesus. Look at verse 20, back in Mark chapter 5, I'm sorry, verse 22. His desperation took him to Jesus. And in verse 22, it says, He fell at Jesus' feet. He fell on his knees and he pleaded with Jesus earnestly. It didn't say he just asked him, it said he earnestly pleaded with him. What does earnestly mean? It means seriously. It's seriously important. There's sincere feelings behind it. So he's on his knees begging Jesus to help his daughter. Guys, when you are desperate, that's what happens. You fall to your knees before God. There are so many people who say they are really trying to find a job. They're really desperate to change this part of their marriage or their life or their kids. Are you praying on your knees? No, I'm praying, but I'm not on my knees. You look throughout the Bible, people got so desperate that they were on their knees begging for God. But sometimes Christians today, that's beneath them to get on their knees. Oh, they'll sit on their butt and pray. They'll lay in the bed and pray. They're praying in the shower. They're praying in the car. But to get on your knees and pray, See, that's being earnest and desperate for prayer to happen. Why? Because he's saying, my daughter is dying. I'm going to go to Jesus. Now, just think about it. He had to travel to Jesus. Now he's talking to Jesus. During this time, he's thinking, my daughter may already be dead. But he had enough faith that even if she was dead, Jesus still could raise her from the dead. So he goes to Jesus. And to this point... And This this is what's so incredible about this. To this point, all the miracles Jesus had done were on living people. The blind, the lame, the mute, leprosy. All those people were alive when he did this. And here comes this synagogue ruler who's saying, my daughter may be dead. But I don't think that affects the power of Jesus at all. Even if she is dead, I got enough faith that he can still raise her from the dead. That's how much faith is half. Not only was it faithful, keep your finger in Mark, but turn over to Numbers 19. Numbers 19. Old Testament here. In verse 11. So not only was he a faithful person, but it went against their entire culture, what he was asking Jesus to do. In Numbers 19, verse 11, it says, Whoever touches the dead body of anyone will be unclean for seven days. And he must purify himself with water on the third day and the seventh day. Then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third and seven days, he will not be clean. Whoever touches the dead body of anyone and fails to purify himself defiles the Lord's tabernacle. That person must be cut off from Israel. Because the water of cleansing has not been sprinkled on him. He is unclean. His uncleanliness remains on him. Now here's the synagogue ruler going against everything the synagogue is teaching, asking Jesus to come to this person that's dead probably. He said, you know what, this is against tradition. This is against what everybody believes. But for my child, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And I'm going to Jesus about this. Now, to even ask a rabbi to come and touch or talk to or be around a dead body, most of them would say, uh, no, I am not going to be unclean for that reason. But when he asked Jesus in verse 24, Mark chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus said, so Jesus went with him and he took his disciples. So here's Jesus. He said, I know what the tradition says, but I'm the son of God. So he was going with them. And now, you know, Peter, James and John, they're like, oh, man, we about to go see this dead body. we about to get kicked out of the community. What's up with Jesus? What is he doing to us? I mean, you know, they probably had all kind of questions as they're walking with Jesus. But Jesus confidently said, let's go do it. I'll take care of it. A legend is told about a rabbi from a small Jewish town. The people had gathered in the synagogue on the eve of Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. But when the time came for the most important service of the Jewish year to begin, the rabbi was nowhere to be found. During the delay, a young mother rushed home to check on her little daughter, whom she had left there sleeping. To her surprise, she saw the rabbi sitting quietly in the chair, holding the child in his arms. He had been walking by her home on the way to the synagogue when he heard the infant crying, so he stopped to help. He held the child until she fell asleep. There's a lesson in what this rabbi did and in Jesus' love for people. So many times in our busy lives, we tend to get so caught up with our own concerns that we lose a sense of compassion for other people. That's the thing I learned. Before I moved to New York, everybody said, New Yorkers are so rude. They mean. All they do is honk their horns and give you the bird. They just some evil people. But after moving here, I don't think people in New York are evil. I think they just busy. They got places to go. They got things to do. They're in a hurry. It's not that they're mean. They're just doing what they got to do. Thus, a sense of compassion does not exist many times in the city. We gotta ask ourselves, what is going on? When we're interrupted, how do we respond? You see, what I realized is interruptions told me who I really am inside. So when I'm interrupted, how I respond to that interruption says something about the kind of person I am. If I'm relaxed and I'm calm, I can handle interruption. But if I got something going on, I don't handle it as well. And so you gotta think about it when you're interrupted. Because there's a lot of things that can interrupt you. Your telephone, your family member. Heck, sometimes, if I'm hungry, that's interrupting me. It's like, man, I want to eat, you know. There's a lot of things that can get us, but how do you handle interruptions? Now, let me be clear about something. I'm not, because some people will take this as the preacher said, we have the right to interrupt anybody now. That is not what I'm saying, so don't get this twisted. Because you read through the Bible... You don't see Jesus interrupting people. Only people he interrupted was the Pharisees who were thinking something sinful, and he interrupted their thoughts, not what they were doing. So I'm not saying you see two people talking, you have the right to just jump in there for the Lord. Yeah, what? No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is when things happen, interruptions, it doesn't mean we have to fly off the handle about those things. Now, I'm going to work on it about me, but you need to work on it about you. So don't come and test how is it working on you. Maurice, how well are you doing? I'm here to interrupt you to show how much God is helping you grow. No, 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 I'm good. But that's the beginning of the first miracle. So now he leaves with Jarius to go help his daughter. And on the way, a second interruption occurs. Again, look at verse 25. Mark chapter 5, verse 25. Now, as the ruler's story is suspended here, it's interrupted by another great miracle. Jesus is traveling on the way to meet this girl, to help this girl, and you got to realize another interruption. Think about how many times for a minute Jesus got interrupted. He's talking with his disciples, and people would just come up to him. He's doing a Bible talk at a house, and people coming through the roof. He's trying to sleep in the boat and they wake him up. Jesus, it's raining. There's a storm coming. Now he didn't get up. What? It's raining and you waking me up because of a storm? Why don't you grow up, Peter? I mean, he didn't respond the way some of us would. But yet, as he's continually interrupted, he continually showed the love of God in each situation. It doesn't mean he played it off. He taught people a lesson with every interruption. But yet, those interruptions did not bring out inner demons. Didn't bring out anger and frustration. This is what we got to see. This woman came to him. She was in great distress. She was suffering for 12 years. Spent all her money and nobody could help her. It just got worse. Imagine how, you know, if you go somewhere and you go to a restaurant and you pay for food and it don't come out the way you want, we get upset. Imagine paying these doctors for 12 years, and you just get worse. You know, she had lost all kind of hope, everything. To her, it felt like it was impossible. Even at that moment, she may have been going through some some bleeding at that moment for herself. To her, her sickness was incurable, humanly speaking. But as we know, Jesus is a great physician. This woman's actions revealed Jesus' ability that extends beyond word or touch. In other words, some people wanted him to say the word and it would be healed. Even Jairus said, come touch my daughter, it will be healed. This woman in her faith said, he doesn't need to say anything. He doesn't need to touch me. All I need to do is to touch him. Because I believe in that much power of God. It says in verse 28, she thought to herself, if I could just touch him. What great faith. That's all she did was thought of, if I could just touch him. See, the question is, is Jesus still enough for you? Or are you longing for something else? Now, we all still need to strive to be better in whatever it is. Your job, your health, your life, whatever. Striving to be better is not what I'm talking about. But we can have Jesus and be content. Or we can have Jesus and still, you know what, that's not enough. I need this too. I need this. Why don't I win the lottery? Come on, Artie. Help me win the lottery. Give me the numbers. I mean, we can just be wanting more and more. But is Jesus enough? You know, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says, I've come to give you the best life you could ever have. Now, in our times of desperation, we don't have to worry about are we doing it the correct way. Like this woman, we can simply reach out in faith. Does she have the right theology? Nope. Does she have the right technique? Nope. But did she have faith? Yes. Too many times we're worried about, am I doing this the right way? Am I going to mess this up? Even as Christians, we, we can study the Bible with people and think, I, I don't want to mess them up. If you're doing the word of God, you're not going to mess them up. But when you start making it about you, what you feel, what you think, yeah, you're going to mess them up. Because nobody really cares what you think. The woman might have thought she could get away with it, too. She might have thought, well, let me just touch him and then I'm out. He'll never know. But then in verse 30. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Think of that moment right there. Everybody crowded and everything. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 slow, girl. who touched me? You know this woman was scared to death. She thought, oh, snap. I felt free and now I feel fear. But then look at what happens in verse 34. Okay. Some glasses still down there. He said to her, daughter, he says an endearing word. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. You know, this is true, because so many times we can do something and then we become fearful of it. I like to do communion this week, but I'm scared to death. I like to do contribution, but I'm scared to death. If you're full of faith, faith overcomes fear. And this is what we got to see. She was still being faithful. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Now, you notice that's that's what he said. You weren't healed because you said something. You weren't healed because of that thought you had. You were healed because of your faith. So many times we don't overcome, we don't push through the crowds like she did because of our faith. It's not that the crowds are too big. I'm sure that was a massive crowd, but it wasn't so big that her faith didn't push her through it. Sometimes we have got to learn to push ourselves because of our faith. Your faith can push you to do things you didn't think you could. Your faith can push you to overcome fears. Your faith can push you. So many times we like it when people do things for us. We got to stop getting on milk. We need to learn to mature and have some solid food. What delivered this woman? Her faith delivered this woman. Guys, we need to start praying for our faith to grow. Well, well, how do you do that? That's why we need to get with people on a weekly basis and help our faith to grow. See, when we don't have somebody partnering with us spiritually, our faith is not going to grow. If you put a plant in the darkness, it becomes pale, sickly, it eventually dies. If you keep your faith in the dark, it's going to become weak, sickly, and eventually you're going to spiritually die you got to have your faith in the light. Bring it all to the light so it can flourish, it can grow. You cannot keep it to yourself. God changed a situation that had been the same for 12 years. 12 years. It was a serious thing. This was a disease that made this woman unclean. In other words, she couldn't be a part of the community. For 12 years, she had been untouchable, and Jesus changed and restored her. And this is a lesson for us, because God can change what seems unchangeable, giving you a new purpose in your life. Now, some of y'all understood what I said, so let me break that down again, because I think I, it's been a long time, and I don't think y'all, y'all, anyway, let me say what I got to say. My point is this. So many times we don't allow people to grow. We think they've been that way ever since they came into the church. And that's how they are, and they're not going to change. They've been coming to church late for 14 years. What makes you think you're going to change them, Pastor Mo? I'm not going to change them. It's going to have to be God that changes them. But too many times we allow something And we say, that's how they've always been. That's what they've always done. He's always been angry with his wife. He's always let his kids run around like that. I saw him on Jerry Springer the other day. they always like that. (laughs) And we allow ourselves to believe something has to stay the same forever. But with Jesus, anything can change. Twelve years, this woman. You know what? When you start to talk to people, you realize... Bro, how long have you been addicted to drugs? 24 years, 37 years, but now I haven't done it at all. I've been free for 15 years. You know why people can stop that? Because of Jesus. Now, here's a really good, all of more good points, but here's a really good point. Jarius came and he said, Jesus, I need your help to save my daughter. Jesus says, all right, let's go. Let's do this thing. So they start going. Then he gets interrupted. And now he's sitting there talking to this lady about her bleeding and about you touch me and about all this and that. The thing about Jarius right here, he's like, why are you talking to her? My daughter dying. Let's get this thing on. What are we waiting for? You know, he's getting frustrated. He's getting anxious. He's like, I see you blessing her. Come bless me. Now, how many times do we feel like that? I see God working over here. I see God working in their life. Where's mine? I've been in the church for so long, 10 years, give me a little bit, sprinkle some on me. We get frustrated when we see other people being blessed sometimes. We're like, hurry it up Jesus, come on over here. We get all kind of anxious and frustrated and then get mad at God sometimes. Some of y'all didn't want to admit it, but I know the truth. We get mad at God because He's over here when He should be over here with us. You know, Jairus is feeling just like that. But I think God lets that happen so we can look at this miracle and also learn a lesson. Jairus looked at that and he he should have been thinking, you know what? If he could help this woman who's been like that, I have absolutely no doubt my daughter's going to be fine. We need to look at people being blessed and realize it's going on. Why? Because this is something that should be building my faith instead of building my doubt. Realize he's doing this because he wants me to learn something. Before he performs a miracle in my life, I need to learn patience, gratitude, something. Because if he just does it for me and I haven't learned that lesson, what kind of person am I going to be? How long is it going to last in my life? But we got to stop looking at other people being blessed and getting bothered by it. Why do they get to lead the Bible talk? Why are they up on stage? Why are they doing this? Why are you worried about other people? Stay in your lane. Do what you need to do. His daughter had problems. But he believed that God would stop it, would help her. Now he's worrying about why Jesus is taking so long talking to this lady. But in Jesus' mind he's like, I already knew this delay would not change the outcome. I got this, Jarius. I got this. Too many times we don't allow Jesus to get this. We want him to get what we want. But He said, I got, why are you worried? Chill out for a minute. It ain't going to take that long. I got this. But see, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you can see that. If you know Jesus, you won't see that. There's a difference in knowing Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus. So then they get to the, the house, verse 35. So he heals the woman, and then he's moving on to the house, of verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some of the men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Hold on, let me stop a minute. You know, sometimes when you have faith and you try to make a change, people are going to come in and try to take away that little bit of um. And I don't think they purposely was trying to just jab Jairus, but just... Sometimes people say some stupid stuff. Y'all know that? Even in the kingdom of God. Sometimes, they may not mean it, but they say some stuff that just is... Verse 36. This is how Jesus responded. Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler... Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing. He went and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. Now, keep your finger there. Let me show you something here. I'm almost done, Stanley. Just hold on. Keep your finger there. Turn back to Jeremiah chapter 9. Well, we got it on the screen, in case you can't get there in time. Jeremiah nine seventeen, And let me explain it. He goes to their house. He walks in. The girl's dead. Everybody's moaning and oh, 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 crying all this and that. And Jesus walks in there, what are y'all doing? Stop it. Just stop. The girl ain't even dead. Just stop. They get so upset with him that they laugh at him. Now, you got to ask yourself, why? Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 17. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Consider now, call for the wailing women to come. Send for the most skillful of them. you got to realize, at this, in this time, the wailers and moaners, that was their job. That was their occupation. They weren't there because they were sincere and sad for the girl that was dead. They were there because that was their job. And they were making money. By doing it. It's just like today. They find a way to make money doing anything. So they made money being a professional crier and a wailer. So Jesus walks in. Y'all ain't making no money today. Shut up. Just stop. I don't even want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Actually, get out. Just go on home. The girl ain't even dead. She's asleep. Get up and go. They got so mad because they were not getting a the paycheck, they started laughing at them about y'all. Come on, we got to laugh so we can get paid. (laughs) They trying to still make money. And Jesus sent them home, and then he took the disciples and the parents in the room. He didn't perform the miracle until the fake people left. I'm just saying. Until you get rid of that fake stuff, the miracles ain't going to happen. So he sent them home. And then he went in there, Let's read what it says here. Verse 40. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father, mother, and the disciples who were with him and went into the, where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talk to a comma, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. You know, it's amazing when these miracles happen. You ever notice they always put like the age of somebody in there sometimes? Because they know, ain't no 12-year-old going to lie about this. They're going to just tell you the truth about what happened. You ask a 12-year-old something, they're going to just, bam, this is what happened. That's all it is. I was dead and now I'm not. He goes in here he does this. Why? Because to the Lord, death appears like sleep. Why? Because he can instill life into whatever he chooses. Those hired mourners were distasteful to Jesus. So he dismissed them, kicked them out, and performed the miracle. You know, even today, many people laugh at the followers of Jesus. They laugh at people who are trusting in Jesus, who say, God bless you. God loves you. I go to church. I'm a real Christian. They laugh at that. Some laugh in your face. Some laugh when you turn around. But you know what? A day is going to come. Well, they're going to have to give account for that laughter. Our job is going to be not to respond in a negative way. When you floating up to heaven and they sitting down there crying, don't laugh. That's going to be a temptation, like, who's laughing now? <laughs> don't do that. They can laugh now, but there's going to come a day where they're going to have to give account before God. So he moved them out. He performed a miracle. And you ever notice whenever he raised a dead person, he always said, "Give him something to eat." It's been a hard day. They had a lot on their body. <laughs> They've been dead for a while. Hook them up for the meal. Because Jesus was black. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll get started. The ruler asked Jesus to lay his hand on his child. And Jesus does something even better. He takes her by the hand and he lifts her up and brings her back to life. And these two interlaced stories present Jesus as the Lord and giver of life. As I close out, I want you to remember this. This is the point. Jesus is never too busy for you. Sometimes we think Jesus got a lot going on or... I just didn't pray to God. I couldn't find a time. And there's so much going. This synagogue ruler had a lot going on, but he knew Jesus loved everybody. Guys, we cannot use that as an excuse in our lives. So-and-so just too busy. So-and-so got this and that. So-and-so. All the interruptions he had did not stop him from being a loving God. Jesus is never too busy for you. Out of the billions of people on this earth, when you go and fall on your knees before God, He's always there to listen. Always there to listen. Guys, this is what we need to remember. There's a lesson to be learned from the synagogue ruler, there's a lesson to be learned from the woman that was bleeding. They had great faith. Great faith. And even if it's not your time for the blessings right now, it doesn't mean your time's not going to come. It just means we need to learn from the blessings that other people are getting. God loves us. He wants to bless us. But he calls for us to have faith in him. Not in church. Not in people. Not in preachers. Not in Bible talk. In him. Thus God will have the glory. Amen.